Socrates said, know thyself. I actually took that to heart about 25 years ago um, in this sense. I was, I thought to myself, I'm going to judge my motives for a month. Everything I do, all the ministry that I do, the way I interact with my family, I'm going to judge my motives, ask myself, why am I doing what I'm doing? Really get to the depth of, and I thought, eh, this will be easy, you know, because I'm a good guy. And then I started doing it. Um, wow. Um, I began to realize some really amazing things like this is I didn't even anticipate this, but even things that I did that would be good, like, you know, taking care of orphans and widows and those kinds of things, a ministry that would be applicable to people who can't defend themselves. I found that there were ulterior motives even in that that weren't so great. You know, pride and all the things that come into your heart when you start thinking about, oh, if we do this and we do this, it would be great for that. And then you get, you start swinging over here. But what if so-and-so found out? What would it look like here? It's amazing when you start to look at that in your own life. When you have the, I encourage you to do it. Okay, I encourage you to take a step back at some point, even do it, do it for a day, do it for a week to judge your own motives. Ask yourself, what are my motives for why I'm doing what I'm doing at work or at school, my friends and my ministry, whatever it is. I think it's really important. I really do. I think it's extremely important to know yourself. To know thyself, if you will. But I also believe at some level, people desperately want to be known. They want to know someone sees them. They want to know someone hears them. When I've been on, I've been places around the world, and one of the things that's so important is when you meet a small child, or they they want you to, to remember their name. Do you remember me? Do you remember me? And if you walk up and you say, "Hey, Emmanuel, how are you doing, buddy?" Like two days later, it's like he remembered my name. They remembered me. They remember my name. They hear me. They see me. That is so so important. When we started back to back ministries in the mid 1996. Um, we spent a lot of time in the very beginning going down to downtown Cincinnati and working with the kids uh, in the inner city. And um, one of the most amazing things for me, as you go through that, hold that picture there for one second. Um, see that tall guy with the red hair right there in the middle? That's Andrew Schechner when he was a puppy. Um, he was always tall. He was always tall. He's one of our elders now, has a family. <laughs> you know, and this was uh, how many years ago? This was over 20, about, well, 25 or so years ago. Um, but we were down there together working with these kids. And one of the, one of the most vivid memories that I have in downtown Cincinnati was working uh, with the kids in Over the Rhine. We went to Prince of Peace Lutheran Church. We'd go down there and we'd get a bunch of kids in there and we'd feed them. And the thing that struck me the most about working with those kids was that they wanted to tell their story. It was so important that they would tell their story. That they would share with you their lives, if you will, what's going on in their lives. They come and tell you a story about how they got this scar or what's going on in their home. or They just needed to be seen. They needed to be heard. It's so important for people. In Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12, it says this. You search me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. 
You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. It's, it's, it's one thing, as Socrates says, to know thyself. But it's, it is something totally different. It's a, it's a whole nother thing to have thyself known, if you will. He says, know yourself. But I'll tell you, it's something else to have yourself known by others. It's so important, if you think about it, it is so important on one level. We as human beings, we want to be known, we want to be seen, we want to be heard. I want you to know my story. It's amazing when when you're a a parent or you're a grandparent, like there are times as a grandfather, the kids will come over and they want to show me their boo-boos. And sometimes they'll take their bandaid off and I don't see anything. Like this, you know, oh yeah, right there yesterday, you know. And we, oh, I'm sorry, let me kiss it, whatever. I gotta find the right, no, it's over here. Oh, okay, oh, let me kiss it over there. They want you to know what happened. They want you to know their experience. They want you to know their story that is so important. So on the one hand, it is so significant that we are known, that we, that people understand, that we, we know ourselves, but also that we're known. But on the other hand, okay, if you, if you kind of turn the coin over, it's also very terrifying to people to be fully known. For someone to know everything about you, for someone to intimately know you is extremely terrifying to people. I was reading an article and I came across a guy who came up with a website where people could post all their secrets. Okay? It, it was it was very creative. I don't you know I don't I don't appreciate all the things on the website, but it was very creative. Um, you write down this your secret. You write down a secret that you've never told anyone in your life. All right, you write it down. You put it on a postcard, and he wants you. I think he was talking about how what the postcard should reflect um, the secret that you're telling, kind of thing. So you write it down, and then it's all anonymous. It's completely anonymous. So then he takes your postcard and he puts your postcard on the website. No one knows who you are. Just kind of write your darkest, your, all your secrets, things in your heart, things you wouldn't tell anybody else. He has turned this project into a career. He has t- over 237,000 likes on Facebook. He's very, very popular. He's written five books, okay, on this project that he's doing. People call him America's most trusted stranger. America's most trusted stranger. So I picked off a few of the secrets from his website from this past week. 
First one, my mood stabilizers were so strong, I had to fake tears at my own mother's funeral. This one was on a, um, a Starbucks card. Um, I give decaf coffee to customers who are mean to me. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you're not old enough to realize this yet, don't be mean to the waiter or waitress or whatever. I'm just telling you, okay? They go in that back room, bring your food. I'm just saying, okay? I give decaf coffee to customers who are mean to me. One was without warning, my children told me that they would, they would understand if I left their mother. And it went on and on and on and on. Things that, that people would never tell anyone else. These were their, they posted their, their secrets. I, I think this website is so popular because it addresses an unmet need in people's lives. We want to be known. We want to be heard. We want to be honest. We want to. Um, so many people have this inner desire to be honest with themselves. They want to be honest with themselves. And they, they want to be honest with the world. It, and this place seems to provide a, a non-threatening, if you will, and honestly non-judgmental environment for people to reveal some of the deepest and most difficult aspects of their life. They want to tell someone what's going on in their lives and and things that they don't want anybody else to know, but they want it revealed. They want to be known. They want someone to know what's going on in their minds. If you think, if you think that you know what's going on in the mind and the heart of the person next to you, you are making a terrible mistake. As a pastor, what I've realized, what, you know, we did a, we did a, a series years ago, and I had these little, uh, popsicle sticks, and we made cutouts like a plate, and we had smile faces on them. Everybody sat in their seats and had the smile face on, right? Because when you come to church, how you doing? Great. How, hey, man, how are you? Fine. Wonderful. Right? And they're dying inside. The next thing you know, people are leaving and going out and weeping in the bathroom or weeping outside because they can't take something, a song that they heard, just met them where they are and they just broke down because they come in and there's broken heartedness, but they got the smile face on, right? You do not know, you do not know what's going on in the minds and the hearts of the people around you. You just don't. People want to be known. They want you. They want, they want someone to know them. And this is a place, this website is a place where they can, they, can, they can bring into the open what they have kept secret. They can, they, they can open up their hearts. They can open up whatever their secrets and be known. As you read Psalm 139, it would seem that, that David wants to be known, right? He writes Psalm 139, I want to be known, and he's kind of, he's laying that all out, but at the same time, he is, he is literally overwhelmed with the, re- he's overwhelmed with the reality of true, pure, all-encompassing intimacy. He's overwhelmed by it, right? I think we can, we can definitely relate to this. You desperately want people to know what's going on in your heart, what you're feeling. At the same time, you, you take a step back when you begin to realize that someone really knows you. And David is, is overwhelmed by the pure, by pure, true, all-encompassing knowledge of himself, intimacy. In his prayer, he reflects on an omniscient, all-knowing, um, omnipotent, all-powerful God that is, that is intimately familiar with every part of his life. 
he realizes that his God knows him better than he knows himself. I mean, you could just see, you could just see it starting to come out, his realization, like, my God knows me better than I know myself. Even before I speak, God knows, even before I think of what I'm going to say, God knows the words that are going to come out of my mouth. That's how intimately he knows me. And David is overwhelmed by this. See, I think part of, part of being human is I think that we really struggle. We struggle with, with, with knowing ourselves, people knowing themselves, either because we don't have the spiritual maturity and the discipline for self-reflection, I mean, you know, I, I think one of the, one of the areas of our lives that we really all, all of us need to work on, okay? We all need to work on it. The ability to self-reflect in relationships. You know, it's so easy, so easy for us to get into a disagreement with each other. And, and we want to, we want to put all the bad on the other person. They're totally, you know, they, they, you know, they're so wrong. They're so, all evil goes on that other person. Instead of taking a step back and self-reflecting and asking yourself, where am I wrong in this conversation? Maybe what did I contribute? Self-reflect. Go back. C.S. Lewis, I've used this quote before and I'm going to keep using it because I really want you to sometime at some point memorize it. Okay? People are neither totally sincere or totally hypocritical. Their moods change, their motives are mixed, and they're often quite mistaken as to what their motives are. That's humanity in general. Okay? What we want to do is, I want to say, Andy and I are in disagreement. Okay? Andy is, there's Satan and then there's Andy. You know what I mean? He's completely wrong. And I don't want to, I don't want to judge the fact that maybe two days ago I said something or I did something that caused hurt in his life and that he came back and wanted to talk and all of a sudden we disagree on something and oh, Andy. No, 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 no. I mean, I don't know how many times I've told you this before that I've been in a disagreement, say with my wife Deb, right? We're in disagreement and, and, uh, if God the Father literally came down and said, Jeff, you think you're right on this one? You think you're right? I would say, absolutely. 100%. Lord, I'm completely right. Would you bet your life on it? Absolutely. Go for it. I would be dead so many times in my life. Okay? Because once I take a step back and self-reflect and realize, okay, wh- what did I say? What did I do yesterday? Was I, was I being whatever? Or in the conversation, she made a thing. Did I need to respond that way? When you self-reflect, you realize people are neither totally sincere or totally hypocritical. Their moods change, their motives are mixed, and they're often themselves quite mistaken as to what their motives are. That is self-reflection. And that helps you interact with other people. Don't be throwing all the whatever on another person we do that we like to go pendulum pendulum you know what I'm saying no it's usually somewhere right here when we're interacting with each other that's what we need to understand that's what God helps us to understand 
God knows us. David was saying, God knows me better than I know myself. Even before I speak. Even before I know anything. So, the reason we struggle with, the reason we struggle with this whole idea of self-reflection is because we're too immature or we don't have the discipline to self-reflect or, or, and as just being honest with you, um, we have no desire to know who we truly are inside. We don't want to even go there. Some people don't even want to go there. And so they just kind of like, you know, it's like when you were a child and someone was saying something you didn't want to hear. La, 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 can't hear you, can't hear you, right? Put your fingers in the ears and make noise. I can't hear what you're saying. That's what we do, but we do it in our inner being. Whichever it is, the Bible says that God knows us intimately. He knows everything about us. He knows us fully. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6, God says, the Bible says that God knows everything about us. He knows He knows all of our thoughts. God knows all of our thoughts, even before you think them. Okay, he knows your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. He knows all the words that are coming out of your mouth before you even, they even come out of your mouth. He, he is aware of every action, everything you've ever done in your entire life. God is fully and totally and utterly aware. He surrounds me, the Bible says, at all times. He walks with me every step of my life. And the cool thing is, the Bible says, he had, he has his hands on me. His hands are on me. It's intimate. Okay? He's connected to me. I mean, there's something about it. You walk along someone and it's, it's just, it's scientifically proven. If someone walks over, if you're in, if, and waitresses and waiters know this sometimes, and I appreciate the fact that they know it and they're doing it. If sometimes they'll walk over and they'll touch you on the shoulder and all of a sudden that creates a connection with that person. And it's nothing, it's nothing weird. You know, you walk them, just pat someone on the shoulder or shake someone's hand or when you're sick, just touch someone's hand a little bit. Why? Because it creates that intimacy that God's hand is on us all the time. He's aware of everything that's going on in our lives. There is, there are, there is no escape. There is no escape from God's penetrating knowledge of each one of us. No escape. That's what David is saying. You cannot escape his penetrating knowledge. Now, even now, right? Even now, there's a sense of, oh man, that's so comforting. And the sense of, Oh boy, that's so horrifying. (laughs) But God knows us. David says in verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Most of the time, the closest relationship that two people on this earth will ever have when it comes to knowing the other person is in a marriage relationship. Okay, to truly know someone intimately, know what's going on in their hearts, know what's going on in their lives. But even the closest human relationship falls woefully short, if you will, of total knowledge. Man, we don't even know ourselves, let alone knowing other people, right? I mean, you you think about that. God knows everything about us. The closest we get is a marriage relationship. And even in a marriage relationship, we fall woefully short in your best friend, okay, from from really knowing the other person and what's truly going on in their lives and how they're truly feeling. Because we don't even know ourselves. We don't really truly even understand ourselves most of the time. In in Jeremiah 17, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? 
Who can understand? The answer is no one. We do not truly understand why we do what we do some of the time. We can't, we can't know our, we, we can't even know our own motives and our own inner desires if it wasn't for our God pointing them out to us in His Word and through His Spirit. It is God. You want to, you want to, you want to truly be able to self-reflect? You want to truly get to the point where you can look inside your own heart and realize these are things I really need to work on, things I really need to change. You can only do that through a relationship with Jesus Christ where the word of God teaches you what you're teaches you. OK, how to think about your, how to how to how to how to understand yourself. What causes you to think the way you think? The Holy Spirit of God constantly. It's like when you ask Christ to come into your life, it's like when the Holy Spirit comes in, it's like if you had a conscience volume, it's turned all the way up. You think you have, your conscience is sensitive now? When you ask Christ to come into your life, it's like the volume's turned all the way up and the Holy Spirit is constantly speaking into your life, helping you grow, helping you understand, helping you stop before you say something you shouldn't say to your spouse or your children to step back and say, you know what? I need to think before I speak. I need to process. I need to slow down. I need to go and spend some time with the Lord before I open my mouth. That's what the Holy Spirit helps you to do, to discipline your own thoughts, to discipline your own actions. It is so important. David, David's thought was, after all this, where can I flee from your presence in verse 7? Where can I flee? David may be, here's the thing, David may be asking this, he is, David is asking this question in a prayer, but for most of us, as much as we long for this type of intimacy, we're also, we're also in a, in a position where we're terrified we're running from it. We want to run from it. We don't want someone to know us that intimately. Where can I go? Where can I hide? And the answer is nowhere, but in, as much as we want to be known and understood and, and have someone understand our feelings, it also terrifies us. And we want to run from it. Listen, total, total intimacy is threatening to people. Total intimacy is absolutely threatening to people. Before the fall, Adam and Eve, Adam, Adam and Eve had a, uh, a, a, a perfect, intimate relationship with God and with each other. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame because it was perfection. They had perfect intimacy with one another. There was no shame and, and they, they could interact with each other, know each other completely. But then when they sinned, what did they try to do? First thing, hide from God, right? First thing they tried to do was run. They tried to hide. They tried to flee. That God was where, you knew where they were. Where are you? You know, we did this and we don't want to, you know. They, they, that intimacy, they didn't, they all of a sudden realized and they try to hide from God. It is the human condition. On the one hand, we long to know and we long to be known by God. But on the other hand, man, do we want to set up walls? We want to be known by, we want to be known and we want, look, my boo-boo, I hurt me. We want to be known. We want you, I want you to know my story. I remember when I was 19 years old and I thought about this first service and I got chicken pox. Okay. Now you don't get, I don't think you can get chicken pox anymore. Do you for the most part? Right? Everybody's like, chicken pox, what's that? I got, it's not very fun. All right. And when you get it at 19 years old, it's even less fun. And I was on my own, I was in college, and I was in my own apartment, and I had chicken pox all by, you gotta go, oh, all by myself. 
Yeah, right? I wanted to tell people how itchy it was. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh man, I wanted to tell. 19 years old, who gets chicken pox at 19 years old? I, no one to really tell. And it was all by myself. My friends weren't going to, my, my guy friends weren't going to come over. Oh, sorry, you have chicken. They were laughing at me because I had chicken pox at 19 years old. We want that. We want people to know. We want people to understand. And, and, and we, but here's the thing. When we, when we truly sense that we are being fully known and there's that kind of intimacy, we want to set up barriers around each other because we don't really want people to know everything that we're thinking and everything that's going on in our lives. The fear of total exposure is, um, overwhelming. The vulnerability, my goodness. To be vulnerable with other people. And the reason why, I thought about this this past week, the reason why vulnerability is so uh, terrifying to folks is because over the years, as you get older, people break your trust. And when there's broken trust, you don't want to be vulnerable with other people. You see that in relationships. You can see it in, in family relationships and friendships. You see it. You see it all over the place in work, at school. It doesn't matter. If someone breaks your trust, you no longer want to be vulnerable with that person. It, if you're newly married, if you're newly married, I want to tell you right now: you guard your words, you guard your actions, and you you treat that very, very gently. Because if you break trust with the other person, okay, you lose intimacy. You lose it. You you can get it back. You can be restored, but I'm telling you, when you break trust with someone, you lose intimacy. And I mean that in every sense of the word. Okay? People do not want to be as intimate with another person in every sense of that word when there's trust that's broken. So be very, very careful when it comes to your relationships, whether it's your marriage relationship, your friendships, all of those things. We need to make sure. That's why people are so concerned. That's why people build those walls, because there's trust that's broken. But the amazing thing is with all of this now, okay? You think about your own life. You think about your motives. You think about your actions. You think about when you're alone. You think about all those things. With all of those things and everything that goes on in our lives, the fact that God knows us thoroughly. He completely knows us thoroughly. He knows every awful thought that we've ever had. And he desperately wants to have a relationship with you. Desperately. Okay, just like he did with Adam and Eve, just like he did all throughout history. He desperately, I don't care, you think you don't have, you have no idea what I've done in my life. I, I, I don't have any idea what you've done in your life. And, and if I knew part of it, I, I surely wouldn't know all of it. But you know what? God knows every thought that went into everything you've ever done. And he desperately, wholly wants to have a relationship with me. If you said, play the tape of Jeff Greer's life, here it is, for all to see. A lot of you guys would be like, uh. God says, oh man, I, I love you. You've come a long way from where you were. Remember how much you used to, you were a foul-mouthed boy. I, you, you, were, you hated every, you, I, I loved you then, I love you now. And if 10 years from now, I love you. And I want to have an intimate relationship with you. Because of our sin, because of our sin and God's holiness, nothing, something really had to be done in order to bridge the gap or the barrier in our relationship with God. God is saying, I want to have that relationship with every single one of you 
Something has to be done to bridge the gap between our sin and a holy God. You don't need the pastor to tell you you're a sinner. Someone was, this week was kind of upset that I was using the word sin and things like that. And I'm just telling you, I don't think it's a shock to any of you. You don't need me or the Bible, okay, honestly, to tell you you're a sinner. Am I wrong here? If you're, if, you're sin, if you're a sinner, you're separated from a holy God. God says that is not acceptable. I need to do something in order to bridge that, relation, bridge that barrier. God's, God does something with Adam and Eve. This is fascinating. We're gonna, I'm going to do an entire series on this because I think we all need to hear it. You got the Old Testament and everybody's like, I don't understand the Old Testament. Why does God tell them to do all this? And why does God say do that? And why does God kill these? And why does God... And and I'm going to give you a a microcosm of this whole idea of Old Testament, New Testament, how they fit perfectly together. God does something with Adam and Eve to remedy the situation, okay, that is a foreshadowing of God's ultimate plan. From Genesis. This is Genesis, okay? He does something in Genesis... That is a foreshadowing of his ultimate plan of how to have a relationship with you and with me. God kills an animal and uses a skin to clothe Adam and Eve. Okay, so the first thing that's killed, animal, Adam and Eve, to clothe them. It, he's showing them that there could be no restoration in fellowship with a holy God without the shedding of blood. Okay, Sin has consequences. There are consequences of sin. That's what God's trying to explain to them. There are consequences. There can be no, there can be nothing brought back together unless with a, a fellowship with a holy God and sinful man without the shedding of blood. The Bible, now, the Bible doesn't exactly say what kind of animal it was, but I believe with all of my heart that it was a lamb. Because that foreshadows Jesus Christ, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because in the Old Testament, you see it over and over and over again. You say, why, 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 why? Because you don't understand. You don't, you're not seeing the entire plan from Genesis to Revelation. That's why I want to do a series on it, to help you understand. This is what God is doing. He's, he sheds blood. That is a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who will take away the sin of the world. It showed them that there was a cost. Whenever we sin, there is a cost. There is always a cost in life. When you sin against someone else, there is always damage to the relationship. There is always a cost. And he's showing them there's a cost to sin. But at the same time, he's also showing them his grace and his plan, God's ultimate plan, his plan of providing a substitute for that sin so that sin would not have the last word in our lives. Sin will never, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, sin will never have the last word in your life never and that's what God was showing them your sin if you you will follow me if you'll come to me sin will not have the last word in your life the intimacy of God moves David to write where can I go and hide 
And it helps us realize, honestly, it helps him realize and it helps all of us realize we cannot escape. We cannot escape from the presence of God. God is everywhere in our, he is everywhere. He knows everything about us, knows everything about this world. There's nowhere to hide from God's presence. And the amazing cool thing is that God's presence is personal. It's not some, some God somewhere out there. From a distance, you look, you know what I mean? That's not the God that we worship. He is intimately invited. You want me to sing the whole song, don't you? You know what I mean? Because that was pretty good. I'll sing the whole thing. Where do you think Jen gets from? So um, God is personal, okay? This is personal. He has his hand on us. He, He walks with us. He guides us every step of the way, every inch. He has walked with you, sometimes... Rather not, but with everything you've ever done in your entire life, he has walked you through it. He's been a part of every single thing that I have ever done in my entire life. Verse 10 says, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. That hand on the shoulder, that hand on your head... My father, when my father, when I, he was dying, he had a stroke and he was gone most of the time mentally, but for a half hour or so, 15, 20 minutes, he came back cognitively. He, he was clear. He was lucid for about 15 minutes. And it was the greatest 15 minutes of my relationship with my life because how significant it was. And I'll never forget, we're sitting there, we're talking and I'm, I'm just, I'm praying with him. I'm talking to him and he reached out and he put his hand on my head knew exactly what he was doing wasn't he reached out looked me right in the eyes and he put his hand on my head what a profound thing to do at the end of his life what a blessing for me what a feeling for me to just for that moment have his hand I am understanding what he was doing, looking me in the eyes and basically I love you and putting his hand on my head it was awesome That's what God does. He puts his hand on us. It is intimate. It is personal. It is personal. When we're, when we're, when we're living a holy life, that connection, it fills us with peace. It fills us with joy. It fills us with contentment. It's, it, that hand is it's comforting to us. That intimacy is comforting. But that kind of personal connection can be very unnerving when you and I are living outside the will of God. I don't care. You can, you can argue with me for the rest of your life. Most people walk away from the faith. Okay, not based upon, I know someone's a Christian, blah, 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 you know. It's because... The, one of the biggest reasons is right there. Because when you are not walking in a right relationship with God, it is not comforting to you in your heart. It, it doesn't bring you peace. It's very unnerving. It's very overwhelming. And you'd rather just, Ravi Zacharias calls it the soft pillow approach when you just lay your head in a pillow and just turn your mind off. You don't want to think about it anymore. There's no God. I looked around. Oh, I've never seen. You've got to prove God. It's had nothing to do with proving God to anybody. It has to do with the reality of knowing who you are. You know what? You know what makes a person humble? You want to talk? Let me give you a definition of humility. Humility is recognizing who you are and recognizing who you are in relation to God. Simple as that. You want to be humble? 
You recognize who you are and you recognize who you are in relation to God. That, my friends, will bring humility into your life. That and nothing else but that truly brings ultimate humility. It is unnerving when we know someone we have an intimate relationship with is watching and hearing what we're doing in our lives. Let me give you an illustration from... Another relationship in our lives um, that is very, very close. I'll give you an illustration. There was a young man who went off to college, and he decided that he was going to major on chasing the ladies. Okay? That was his major. He's like, my parents are paying for this. Baby, I'm in a college now. No one's going to tell you what this he was. So he majored on chasing the ladies. So one of his girlfriends during the day said, hey, I'll call you eight-ish, somewhere at eight-ish tonight. So that night came around, and he's sitting around in his room, and all of a sudden, the phone rings, his cell phone rings, picks that phone up, and he says in a soft, low, sexy voice, talk to me, baby. Starts talking, talk to me, baby. And all of a sudden, he turns red, okay? And he changes his whole demeanor. He says, oh, oh, oh hi, Mom. Okay, the very... The, the the very presence, his mom's presence, even over the phone, has the power to change his behavior. He's on the phone talking. Hey, baby. Tell me, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, John, is that you? <laughs> oh, hi, mom. All right. Changes his all of his behavior. His mother's very presence of his mother, even on the phone, has the power to transform this person's behavior, their facial expressions, everything else. Let me tell you something. When we sense the presence of God in our lives, it is powerful. When you sense the presence of God in your life, it will keep you focused on Jesus Christ. And we just left a series of holiness, right, called Different. We're talking about what it means to be holy. When you sense the presence, when you truly allow yourself to sense the presence of God in your life, you will be focused on holiness. It will keep that desire for holiness walking forward, moving forward, because you have that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. There is power. There is power. There's power in the presence of God in our lives. I will never forget, I was in my office. I was talking to a guy years and years ago. I don't, wasn't even, we weren't even on this campus. I was talking to a man and he was in a relationship, an adulterous relationship, and I sat in my office. He, he said he was a follower of Christ. We, he was willing to meet with me. We sat down. We started talking about it. And I was trying to explain to him how this is going to affect him, how this is going to affect his family, how this is going to affect his relationship with God. And he was, here, here was his demeanor. He had a hat on. He, tur- he had the hat turned around. And he was sitting in his chair like this, with his legs like this. And he was telling me which way. He was telling me, well, I'll tell you, blah, 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 pastor. And blah, blah, blah. And this woman, this. And my wife, that yada 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 and I couldn't get through to him and somehow the Holy Spirit said to me stop so he's sitting there and I said to him we're two or more gathered Christ is there with them he's always with us his presence is always there and we were at a table and it was me here and it was an empty chair and I said now do me a favor I want you to tell Jesus because Jesus is right here I want you to tell Jesus what you just told me just turn your, don't look at me, I'm, I'm your pastor, it's America, you do whatever you want. You know what I'm saying? I can't, I can't force you to do anything. So I want you to tell Jesus what you just told me. You know what he did? It was miraculous. 
His legs went like this. He put his leg like this. He turned his hat around and he had a conversation. And in humility, the humility, he, his demeanor, his facial expressions, his attitude, his, everything, his body language completely changed when I said, now I want you to tell Jesus what you just told me. It was a learning experience for me. There is a difference. When we are in the presence of God, the presence of God can change. When we know we're being observed, it transforms our behavior. It transforms our lives. I was reading an article, and a guy wrote an article, on how many times are we um, picked up by cameras throughout our day? Okay? Throughout our day. So I'm going to read you through these very fast. He, he gives you a typical day and then a running total of the number of cameras likely present at each of our stops in a normal day. 8 a.m. Four cameras total. Get a cup of coffee, four cameras in Starbucks or in Dunkin' Donuts, wherever you get it. 8.30 a.m. That's up to 24 cameras. You drop your kids off at school or the office, cameras in the parking lot and interior. Uh, you will be picked up by a, ver- a variety of angles um, by 20 cameras at least. So you're up to 24. 12, uh, 12.15, you're up to 30 cameras. Stop at the ATM for lunch, for, for cash. The bank has an interior camera. The ATM has a close-up camera. There's cameras all the way around. By 12.30, it's up to 38 because you went to lunch. Four cameras at your famous, favorite lunch spot. Four cameras easily surrounding the building. At 5, at 5 p.m., you're up to 45 cameras. Leaving work, you go to the gym to work out. There's a camera at the checkout desk, and there's six to eight cameras, okay, in the area where you're working out. By 545, there's 46 cameras because you picked up your dry cleaning and there's a camera at the front register. At 6 p.m., you're up to 52 cameras because you stop for gas and there's a gas at the, there's a camera at the station itself and at the pump. At 615, you're up to 54 cameras because you had a car wash and there's a camera at the entry and in the bay area. At 7 p.m., you're up to 58 cameras because you picked up your kids from practice and the game. There's cameras at the school parking lot and all around the exterior of the building and that does not include so we're up to 58 that does not include if you go to the city and you're picked up by the cameras as you're driving down the road and all the intersections in the city even if you're in the suburbs you drive down Towersville Road there are cameras there that are picking you up have you ever been on a road trip and you got a ticket okay in the mail because they took a picture of the back of your car and said you were going too fast which was not true Really ticked me off, okay? Either pull me over or take your ticket. No, but you, you try to fight a $5 ticket and you get $500. So, uh, let's just let this go. Let's just move on, okay? There is bitterness still, but... And that was from an article in 2016 by Brian Karras, okay? I often wonder, guys, I often wonder what would happen if we had, if each one of us walked around and were under surveillance 24 hours a day, Seven days a week, 365 days a year. If we could just get a small glimpse of what God sees, a tiny, minuscule glimpse of what God knows and sees in our lives, our facial expressions when we're talking to other people. Our attitudes, our facial expressions, our behavior toward our spouse or our children or our friends or the person in the car next to us or when we're alone um, in our own, our private moments. What if each night we had to watch a highlight reel of our day? 
Every night, here's a highlight. Here, you want to take, you want to talk about reality TV? There it is, Jeff's life. You know what I'm saying? If you got, if it was just you, just you seeing it. I'm not talking about anybody else. Just you seeing it. I think that I literally believe, and I'm, I believe I'm 100% right. It would revolutionize our lives. Revolutionize our lives. It would revolutionize our marriages. Um, that's not what you, you, all right, you have cameras now, all right, and, and you say, um, well, that's not how I said it. What I said was, sweetheart, can you just please go and take the garbage out like I asked you to the other day? You know, just, I'd love it if you do that. That's not what you, you said, listen, you, blah, 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 get out there and take the garbage out. No, if you had a camera, right, you'd be able to see. It was probably somewhere in the middle. Listen, you, listen, you, nice and a little calmer. If we, it would transform our marriage. It would transform our, our relationship with our children, how we interact with our children. It would transform our business dealings with each other, how we communicate our facial expressions. It would change so much about our lives, our personal time. David is saying, that you cannot escape from the presence of God. You cannot escape because he is the one who designed you. He is the one who created you. And he is the one who walks with you every single day of your life. We often ask God, God, can you see what I see? Do you, do, do you see what I see? You know what his answer is? Yes, I do. He knows your pain. He knows your boo-boos. All of them. Okay. He knows your pain. He knows your confusion. He knows your story. He knows the truth. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm saying it in a positive way. He knows the truth, what you've been through. He, no matter what anybody else says, he knows the truth. God understands you more than and better than anyone else. But he also knows your weaknesses. And he knows your sins. And he knows when we fall short. He knows our motives. He knows our addictions. You are fully, you are completely, you are utterly known by God. And with everything, listen to what I'm saying here, with everything he knows about you, with every, he knows every thought you've ever had in your entire life, and with everything he knows about you personally, with everything he knows about Jeff Greer from birth till now, He loved me so much. He loved me so much and wants to have a personal relationship with me so much that he died for me. That God sent his son to die for me. God died for me. He so desperately wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And he so desperately wants to have an intimate relationship with me. He so desperately doesn't want to be separated from us now and for eternity. That that prompted him. That literally prompted him to, to, to have the greatest expression of sacrificial love the world has ever known. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants to have a personal intimate relationship with you. That he loves you so much knowing everything that could possibly be known about you. He said, I love you so much. I'm going to die for you. And I'm going to show you the greatest expression of sacrificial love the world has ever known. And if you were the last person breathing on this planet, he'd have died. He'd have done it. So really, guys, here's the final question for all of us. I mean, you can, all these other things. The question we really need to, to be asking ourselves this morning is, do we recognize God's love for us? Do we truly recognize it? You desperately want to be known. You want someone to know your story. 
You know, you want someone to know your feelings. You want someone to understand why you're doing what you're all. And God is saying, I know it all and I love you. Do we understand? Are we grasping the love and grace of God in our lives? That's the question we have to ask. I want you to bow your heads with me as we close here. This series will have so much more significance in your life if you answer that question, yes, I want to have that intimate personal relationship with the living God who knows everything about me and loved me enough to die for me. If that's your desire this morning and you want that kind of relationship, a God who has his hand on you every step of the way, a God who will love you from now until the end of eternity, if that's what you want this morning, I want you to just pray the simple prayer with me. Father, I know I fall short. I don't need Pastor Jeff or even the Bible to tell me that I know I do. I know myself well enough. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. You took a lamb, you took an animal, and you sacrificed to clothe Adam and Eve. But more than that, you foreshadowed the reality of my own life that at some point the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would die to take away the sin of the world. And Lord, this morning I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you that I may fall short of your holiness, but that's not the end of the story. Your Son, Jesus Christ, died and His blood covers me. And I want to thank you for that. That when you see me, you no longer see my sin. You see your son. And because of that, I can enter into your presence. I can enter into the Holy of Holies. I can pray to you. I can share my feelings with you. I can share my frustrations with you. I can share my questions with you. I can have that intimate relationship with a God who loves me more than anyone or anything will ever love me in this entire universe ever. I can have that with you. Your word says that if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and if I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead then I will be saved. John 3.16 says for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And Lord, I want to claim that for myself. God, I want to claim that for myself. Father, I want you to be my father, my heavenly father. I don't just want to be your creation. I want to be adopted into your family. I want to be your child this morning. I'm tired of walking this road. This road. Feeling alone. I want to know your presence like I've never known it before. I give my heart. I give my life. I give myself to you.
please fill me with your Holy Spirit. I pray the blood of Jesus Christ would flow through my veins and that I would be known like I have never been known before. I pray these things all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.